Talk with your host, James Gibbons. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of Real Addiction Talk with your host, James Gibbons. I hope everybody had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Um, depending on where you are, uh, hopefully, you had good weather. And um, looks like we began our journey towards the fall season. But I do want to uh, remind you that if you have not done so yet, check out our website at www.realaddictiontalk.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for up-to-date research, content, education, and resources about our podcast and about addiction. Also, remember to uh, like and follow our Facebook page at Real Addiction Talk. And uh, feel free to uh, post a comment or a question that you may have or a request that you'd like to see on our podcast. Uh, today's episode is focused around the disease concept of addiction. And I actually just recently provided a uh, presentation this week at a conference uh, about this subject. And there were a lot of great questions at the end, you know, and a lot of people who were at this conference, which, which were mostly addiction counselors or involved in some mental health aspect within the addiction field. They had a lot of good questions and, um, uh, and a lot of them learned a lot. And w one of the biggest things that, you know, we don't realize when we're dealing with an addiction is, you know, the disease concept of it all. So, you know, we have to understand that first, if, if we're going to get better, if we're going to recover from, from this disease. And so the, the first thing I want to discuss is what is a disease? Well, according to medical terms, a, a disease is quote, a particular abnormal condition that negatively affects the structure or function of all or part of an organism. And that is not immediately due to any external injury. Diseases are often known to be medical conditions that are associated with specific signs and symptoms. Diseases can affect people not only physically, but also mentally, as contracting and living with a disease can alter the affected person's perspective on life. And in a nutshell, there's really four big factors that makes a disease considered a disease. But before I get into that, I, I do want to provide some examples of diseases um, in case you're not quite aware of, of, of a few, but 
Alzheimer's disease, Lyme's disease, cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's disease, arthritis. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And I was actually reading a, an article the other day about how many diseases there were back in 1870-something. And there were about seven classified diseases back then. And now, currently, we have over 10,000 diseases. So let's, let's get into the four big factors that makes up a disease. So the first thing is a disease must be progressive, meaning over time, the disease gets worse if it's not managed correctly. It's chronic. That's number two, meaning it lasts forever. Number three, it's incurable. So there is no cure for it. And number four, it displays signs and symptoms. So how does that relate to addiction? Well, I'm going to go ahead and read you the quote of how the American Science of Addiction Medicine defines addiction. And they, they define it as the following, and I quote, Addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and the individual's self and life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. Now, if you're currently listening to this and you have an active addiction, this probably hits home for you, right? Uh, or even if you're in recovery, it probably hits home for you as well. I'm going to read that last part again. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. So if we were to go back to the four factors that make up a, a disease, let's, let's, let's focus on how that relates, relates to addiction. So the first one was progressive. So does it, is, is addiction progressive? Well, yes, it is. It, it gets worse over time. Number two, is it chronic? Yes, it, it lasts forever. Number three, is it incurable? Absolutely, there is no cure for addiction. Despite all the books out there, you might see at, at bookstores saying, the cure for addiction. I have the warning to not buy those books. There is no cure. I don't foresee a cure anytime in the future. Um, number four, does it display signs and symptoms? Absolutely. And we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. So addiction matched those four big factors of a disease. And alcoholism was actually first recognized as an illness in 1956 by the American Medical Association. And that's according to the, an article by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. So uh, a couple interesting facts for you of what happened in 1956. That was the first, uh, that was the year that the first episode of this, As the World Turns came out on TV. And that was also the first time we saw Elvis Presley live on TV. Um, move, moving those hips. Um, Addiction followed in 1987, and this was an important recognition because 
Addiction encompasses all sorts of addictions, from smoking to substance use to other sorts of addictions, such as gambling. And when it finally became a disease, that was a turning point as to where people could actually get some type of, of help with it through, through some type of provider. And I also want to make this pretty clear as well. And I uh, read this in a book. I can't quite remember what the book was or who the author was, but I remember reading that there's a big difference between addiction and addiction. And you're probably saying to yourself right now, well, those are the two exact same things. You, you just said the exact same words. Right, but... I'm referencing as the first addiction with a capital A and the second addiction with a little a. So the addiction with a big A references the actual addiction. So the addiction to alcohol and drugs, gambling. And the second addiction with the little a is how the media portrays addiction or how society uh, portrays addiction. In kind of a, a weird, funky way. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes you'll hear someone say, man, I am addicted to these cookies. Or, man, I am really addicted to this apple pie. I can't stop eating it. But are you really? Are you really addicted to it? Is it really causing you problems in your life right now? Are you experiencing withdrawal symptoms? Do you have a strong craving when you wake up in the morning for an apple pie? You know, it, it, there's a huge difference between the two, and I think it's important that we understand the difference um, and actually put more focus and energy into the first addiction with the capital A uh, and change the wording for the second part because realistically, you can't get addicted to cookies. I mean, unless you're the cookie monster, who probably, you know, had a serious problem with, with eating cookies. Um, but in reality, a lot of people do not get addicted to cookies or brownies or apple pie or, you know, watching their, their favorite Netflix show or anything like that. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to point that out, that there's a huge distinction between those two words. And I'm going to get back into the wording part of it here later on this podcast. But the next thing I wanted to talk about was the actual signs and symptoms of addiction, because that was one of the four main factors of what makes up a disease. So if I were to ask you, what, were, what are some signs and symptoms of somebody who's uh, experiencing um, you know, Alzheimer's disease? Were they probably forgetting you know, where they put their items? Maybe they get lost every now and then in a familiar place. Um, tend to forget people's names. You know, things like that. Um, with addiction, some examples of signs and symptoms of addiction include health issues, financial issues, mental health, such as depression, anxiety increases, job loss, legal issues, uh, relationship issues, homelessness, cravings, increased tolerance, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a lot more. 
And what happens is, is that a disease goes through three different stages. So the first stage is called the early, the second stage is middle, and the third stage is called late. And so the early stage of the disease of addiction, uh, an individual is, at least for the most part, experimenting with the drug, experimenting with alcohol. And I think a lot of people actually get into this stage at an early age, you know, between the ages of you know, 12 to 18. You know, we're out there, we're, we're with some friends, we're around a campfire, having a couple of drinks, having a good time. And some of the signs and symptoms of this stage is there's really not a whole lot. You know, there's really no real legal issues. The tolerance is typically low. There's minimal health issues due to use. Uh, there's really no interference with job, school, or relationships. Although there, there might be some consequences, but not um, to the extent of where it would be considered in the middle stage of the disease. You know, at, at this stage, in the early stage, we're, we're experimenting, we're curious, there's some peer pressure going on. We still have loved ones that love us. Um, so in a nutshell, the signs and symptoms in the early stage, there, there really is no huge impact on life. And it, it really isn't until we hit the middle stage of diseases when we start experimenting or experiencing some signs and symptoms. So for example, once we hit the middle stage, we begin to notice a tolerance increase. So instead of one drink or two drinks getting us intoxicated, and now it takes maybe eight or nine. There might be some minor legal issues involved now. So maybe we got a first DUI. Maybe we got a possession charge, maybe a public intox. Uh, we begin we, we begin to hang around with people that we use with. So, and what I mean by that is, we begin to isolate ourselves from our family and our friends. And we begin to hang around those people that use the same substance as us. So we're involved with a very tight-knit group of people. Uh, we may begin to experience some mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, We might be experiencing some job issues. So maybe we're on our last warning at work because we've always come in late. You know, or maybe we're not giving 100% because we're, you know, coming down from the substance. But we're on the we're on we're on the verge of uh losing our losing our jobs. Relationship issues. So we might experience a friction in relationships, whether it would be with, with our significant other, family members, or, or, or true friends who are starting to wonder, you know, what's going on with him or her. They're not hanging around with us anymore. They're hanging out with, with so-and-so more often. You know, they begin to, begin, they begin to uh, show some concern. Another thing is that we start experiencing withdrawal symptoms. 
So uh, things like chills, tremors, hangovers, nausea, body aches. Uh, sometimes insomnia, fatigue, restlessness, agitation, irritability. And it's different for, for each drug. And at this point, we begin to experience cravings. And, I, and cravings is one of the things that we talked about in the last episode, but a craving is a strong physical urge to use a substance. And, and, and in most cases, it it may involve the uh, having the taste of the substance in your mouth or severe preoccupation or spending a lot of time thinking about using the drug. You know, so maybe you're at work, it's only 11 o'clock in the morning, you keep looking at your clock, wishing it was five o'clock so you can go out and get high or drunk. And so those are some of the basic signs and symptoms in the middle stage of the, of the disease of addiction. And I'm going to turn our focus into the late stage. And this is when things really begin to uh, take a toll on our health. So at the late stage, we begin to experience severe mental health issues. So this is severe depression, severe anxiety. Suicidal ideation becomes very um, common at this stage, as well as uh, suicide itself. And it's very sad to see because what happens is we get into this vicious cycle of using and stopping, using and stopping. And then eventually we become isolated. And uh, we, can't, we, we, we tend to have a lot of struggle with getting out of that vicious cycle. It's like, it's like fish in a dam. If you've ever gone to a dam and seen fish jump, in and out of the water, they can't get out of the dam because the current's so strong. And that, that's kind of like what we're experiencing. Because we also begin to experience increased health issues, physical issues. Uh, we begin to see new diseases being developed. So if you have an addiction to alcohol, you may begin to develop cirrhosis of the liver. Um, perhaps you use methamphetamine. And one of the things about methamphetamine is that it depletes our dopamine. And, and if we continue depleting our dopamine over time, you know, that could be a cause for Parkinson's disease. And another thing is that with methamphetamine use, you know, we tend to stay up for a long period of time. And when we sleep, it's like, it's kind of like a windshield wiper in our brain. It, it cleans out all the plaque and all the cavities out in our brain when we sleep. So when we don't sleep, those that plaque and those cavities continue to build. And as it builds, that is also um, a case that could be developed into Alzheimer's disease. Um, some other things that we experience is complete isolation. So now we start uh, staying away from those that we used to use with, and we just want to use on our own. Uh, family members, loved ones begin to give up on us. And 
we might be homeless at this point or couch surfing, but we really don't have an actual physical address um, where we live at. <clears throat> we probably don't have a job at this point, which leads to uh, poor financial stability. There's usually severe legal issues, so you know, we're, we're talking about uh, federal crimes, long-term prison sentences. Um, and like I said, little to no support. So when we, we, when we begin to feel all these signs and symptoms, that's a lot to carry. And that's a really hard thing to get out of. So the goal is, you know, if we're using or early in recovery, the goal is that we don't ever enter that, that, that late stage of the disease. Uh, because that's, that's going to be complete hell. So my, my next question is, if we, if we were to zoom in on the early middle stage of the disease, and, it, and I'll have this, I'll have this uh, diagram up on my YouTube video, YouTube channel, Real Addiction Talk, uh, so that you can have a better uh, understanding of what I'm, what, what I'm saying, because, you know, the disease concept of addiction is a very hard thing to understand. Now, th this is something that you could probably fit into a semester's worth um, of learning. You know, and I'm trying to wrap it up in a, in a 30 minute podcast, but um, I'm going to use the I'm going to use the example of of uh, Joe. And let's say Joe gets into, gets into the middle stage of the addiction. Can Joe, after a period of sobriety, let's say five years, begin using again? And actually stay in the early stage, never go back to the middle stage. Well, if you answered no, that's correct. <clears throat> it's just going to be a matter of time until Joe goes right back into the middle stage of the disease. It might be a week or two. He might be able to control his use for a week or two. But he's going to go right back into that middle stage. He's going to go right back to where he left off. Because what happens is, once we cross that threshold between the early and the middle stage of the disease, that's when the actual disease becomes triggered. And it's different for everybody. Um, you know, it could be at an early age where you trigger the disease. Or you might not even trigger the disease at all. You know, you, you have people who've been smoking for 50, 60 years and they never develop lung cancer. You know, so it's, it's different for everybody. But once we do cross that threshold, that's when the actual disease becomes triggered. And at that point, there's no turning back because now it's chronic. Now it's progressive. It's incurable. And we're going to begin experiencing some signs and symptoms. So if there's one thing I want you to understand out of this whole sequence of events is that, no, we cannot stay in the early stage of the disease if we have a period of sobriety and begin using again. And a lot of people had this mindset, this 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 confidence that uh, they could have just one. One drink, one hit, it'd be okay. Because they think they have it under control. And that's so misleading. And it's so dangerous. Because um, what 
And what tends to happen is that our mind begins to play tricks on us when, when we're sober. I mean, whether it be a year, five years, or 10 years, 20 plus years, our mind will play tricks on us. And we become somewhat confident in our use. So we say to ourselves, I can have just one, go out to the bar and have one, which I like what I said before, this may work for a week or two. But Joe is going to go right back into the middle stage where he's going to begin experiencing health issues, mental health issues, legal issues, family issues. And if it's not controlled properly, if it's not managed appropriately, Joe will go into the late stage of the disease. And that's what we're trying to avoid. And there's two major factors that determine who becomes addicted and who doesn't. And the first one is genetics. And this really makes up about 85% of the reason why people become addicted to a substance is because of the genetic part of it. So if, for example, let's say your mom has an addiction, but your dad doesn't, the chances of you becoming addicted to something is 50%. And if both parents have it, then the chances of you getting it is 85%. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, wouldn't it be 100%? Not exactly, because there's a lot of factors that go into it. And like I said before, not everybody develops the disease. You know, And this is why, and some of you out there who are listening to this probably are experiencing this, is you know, you're, you're the black sheep of the family. You're the only one who has an addiction, and your sisters and brothers do not. And that's because... You, re you received the genetic tendency to develop the disease of addiction while your siblings did not. So not everybody develops the disease. Just like everybody who, you know, anybody who eats a lot of sugar won't develop diabetes. Not everybody who uh, gets HIV will develop AIDS. Not everybody who's going to smoke cigarettes is going to develop lung cancer. It's all based on the genetic factor. You know, do we do we carry that uh, genetic factor in our in our genes in our DNA? The second part is the envir environmental factor, and the environment is where we grow up in and surround ourselves because that can greatly influence whether or not an addiction develops and becomes a disease. So if we grew up in a broken home, or if we grew up with, with our parents um, getting drunk or high every day, arguing with each other, um, if we attend a school that you know, doesn't really uh, provide prevention measures for, for using drugs and alcohol, if we experience trauma as a kid, and this is one of the biggest reasons why people develop an addiction is because of trauma as a kid. Because what tends to happen is that, you know, the kid might experience some type of traumatic, traumatic event, whether it be abuse, um, you know, verbally, sexually. And they carry that with them through their childhood because they probably didn't receive the appropriate mental health services 
or talk therapy to help you know, recover from that. And what you'll find is that once they hit the age around 12, 13, 14, they find, they find a drug. You know, their, their best friend says, hey, take a hit, take a drink. And what they experience is, oh, wow, I feel good. I can numb myself for a while and not think about the past or how my life is right now. And then, of course, over time, if they carry the genetic tendency, they'll develop the disease of addiction. And then the spiral, the downward spiral, will start. So there you have that. The two major factors that tends to develop the disease of addiction, genetics and environment. And I always, uh, <clears throat> so I had to take a little drink of coffee there, <laughs> but if you have an active addiction, I'm sure you've heard this question before. And I'm sure it drives you nuts. Absolutely nuts. But I'm sure you've heard the question, hey, why can't you just stop? Just stop using. What's wrong with you? And you'll hear people say, but isn't it their choice? They, they decided to use in the first place. They should suffer the consequences they chose to use. And this is a quote that I found in a book as well. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to find the author of it and uh, post it on my website, but he says, quote, no one would choose to get addiction any more than they choose to get cancer. Addiction is a consequence of many contributing factors, including genetics, upbringing, trauma, and other influences. People with addiction are usually living pretty miserable lives and wouldn't choose to live that way if given the chance, unquote. And that's powerful right there. That is a powerful quote. You think about it. No one, no one in their right mind is going to wake up someday and say, you know what? I think I'm going to get addicted to meth. Yeah. This seems like a great day to do that. Let's do it. Forget about my kids. Forget about my family. Forget about my job. Forget about my physical health. Forget about my mental well-being. I'm just going to try meth. I'm going to get addicted to it. I want to see what that lifestyle is like and, and just go with it. You know, no, no one does that. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I think I'm going to try and develop cancer today. So yeah, no one in their right mind would, would choose that lifestyle. So it, it's important out out there is so if, if if you do have a loved one that's um suffering with an addiction and you continuously ask this individual why can't you just quit just quit oh, what's wrong with you you know just remember you know as much as they would like to quit their brain has changed in fundamental ways where addiction is now their top thing that they're focused on is their number one value and it's, it's the number one survival. It goes above food. It goes above sleep. It goes above family. And that's because it's, it's, it's taken over. 
and, and the best way to help someone who is dealing with an addiction is to support them, to tell them, hey, I'm here for you. If you ever need anything, I'll sit down with you and I'll listen. And the reason why I say that is because there were, there were two studies done with mice. And the first one uh, started in the uh, 1970s. And what the study found was that they would put a mouse in a cage by itself. And they would put two bottles in there. One was, one was full of water and the other one was with cocaine. And what they found was that the mouse would almost always choose the cocaine over the water and they would die relatively quickly. But when you put the mouse, and this was actually called the rat, the rat park study. If you, were, if you were to put a mouse with other mice in a cage and you had two bottles, one with water, one with cocaine, the mice would hardly ever choose the cocaine. And if they did, they would only take a little bit of it. They would never overdo it. But most of the time, they would never choose the cocaine. And the reason being is because they felt a bond with the other mice. They had social support. And I know we're talking about mice here. Um, but, but the main thing to understand is that, you know, this, this study was done multiple times. And, and the mice would hardly ever choose the cocaine. And that's the power of support. That's the power of being around other people who, who care about you. Right? So support is very, very important in recovery. Extremely important. And the other study that they did was they would, and if you're at home, you turn on the light and you see something dart away real quick, like a flash of blackness. Usually it's a mouse. And what the mouse is doing is that it sees the light turn on and they go directly towards the darkness. And that's just from years, millions of years of evolution, you know, because they'll be eaten by owls, other predators. But what they do is they go, they dart right into the darkness. But if you were to get a give a mouse some cocaine. What you'll find is that if you were to turn on the light, the mouse wouldn't care. If they saw the cocaine, they would go straight towards it. They wouldn't dart away. They would actually risk their life to go out and get the cocaine, knowing the fact that they may be um, taken away from some, some type of predator. And that's the power of addiction. You know, we're willing to risk our lives because, it, again, it's it's the number one survival thing that we're focused on right now, above sleep, above food, above anything else. You know, it, is what's the next high? How am I going to get it? And we're, we're willing to risk our lives to get it. And, and that's why it's so important to understand this disease concept of addiction so that we can understand that you know, A, we're not responsible for our disease, but we are responsible for our recovery. And B, once we understand that it is a disease, that could be the best news you've ever heard in your life because now you understand that you have a disease. 
And now you'll be able to manage it. There is a way out if the proper steps are taken. And one of the, one of the best proper steps to take is is going into treatment. And I know that there are some people out there who've never gone to treatment and have had several years of sobriety. But for some of us, we can't do it on our own. We need some type of, of treatment, some type of education that teaches these things. And I like to compare it to like breaking a leg. You know, if you were to break a leg, what tends to happen is that we become educated from the doctor about the injury. We're given casts, crutches to prevent re-injury. We go to physical therapy to regain strength and flexibility with our leg. We have family and friends that are there to help us and to help keep our morale up. And eventually the bone heals and we get back to our normal life. But the leg is more vulnerable to breaking again if not taken care of properly. And that's just like with addiction and treatment. We go to treatment, we become educated about the disease of addiction. We're given tools to help manage the disease. So we're given coping skills. We, we, we go through a process in treatment. So we might start off in a residential setting. Eventually we get to an outpatient setting and then we enter a continuing care. We have family and friends that are there to support us. And then eventually we have a period of sobriety. Our life becomes to get normal again. Uh, but we're, we're more vulnerable to using again if it's not managed appropriately. And, and that's the power of treatment. And the, the longer you stay in treatment, the better, the better the success rate is for your recovery. And another thing I want to talk about too is the difference between a lapse and a relapse. Because these are two huge, huge different words to understand. So a lapse is a one-time occurrence of use. But when that occurs, we're honest about it. We get back on track and we continue to work the program. And a relapse is uh, going back to our old behaviors. And unfortunately, this could last another 5, 10, 15 years of our life. And what, ha what tends to happen is a lot of people, they have this one-time use. And they're like, oh, I, I messed up. I messed up. I might as well just start using again. And that, that's really not the case. Yeah, you, you, you may have used. You, 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 know, you may have been in, in some type of situation where you're not able to cope correctly. But that doesn't mean you have to go right back into your full-blown all behaving ways, you know, understand that it was a one-time use, be open and honest about it and get back on track and don't get down on yourself because what we're trying to avoid is going back to a relapse. And again, like I said, that could last another 10, 15, 20 plus years of our life. So if we can prevent that by admitting that we had a lapse and getting back on track could save our lives. So keep that in mind. So I, I know I went through a lot today and, and like I said, that this is something that could be easily a, a, a three credit s semester class in a college campus. Um, 
and it, this is a really tough thing to understand, especially in a, you know in a forty minute podcast. But at least you have the general idea of the disease concept of addiction now. And I'm, I have a lot more resources and content on my website at www.realaddictiontalk.com. And if you have any questions pertaining to the subject, feel free to ask us on our on our website, on Facebook. Uh, we are, we also have profiles on Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, What's Up app, and uh, Telegram. And you can check out um, uh, our our uh, names on our website, so you can easily find us on those social platforms. Or maybe you have a story, or maybe you have some type of comment you want you want to share. Feel free to do so. Again, you know we're, we're looking for guests on our show, so check out our website. Go to the "Be a Guest" tab, fill out the form. Whether you're currently suffering with an active addiction, or you're in recovery, or you have a loved one that has an addiction and you don't quite know how to uh, get them back on track, or maybe you're an expert in the field, I would love to have you as a guest. So fill out the form. Um, and we'll reach out to you as soon as we can. I also want to remind you that our membership is up and running. Uh, our membership is called the Rat Pack, Real Addiction Talk, Rat Pack. Uh, for $5 a month as a member, you'll, you'll receive a PDF copy of our outline, our notes, research notes, transcription of our episodes. And you'll receive that uh, via PDF. You'll also receive additional content, information, and resources on our only members page, which is password protected. You'll receive uh, deals and, and, and savings from our affiliates. And one lucky winner per month will receive the actual outline, the actual research notes, and the actual transcription signed by yours truly, sent directly to your address with no charge. And there's a lot more content as well for being a member. So check out our website, uh, sign up for the Rat Pack. You'll also get a shout out in one of our episodes and on our website and on our Facebook page. And that's going to conclude our, our podcast for today. I want to thank you for, for joining me. And I want to uh, invite you to, to make sure that you uh, join all of our social media outlets and our website. I'm looking forward to hearing from you real soon. And this is how it ends. Hey everybody, it's James Gibbons, your host from Real Addiction Talk. Don't forget to join our website at www.realaddictiontalk.com 